Lashication, the white boy Ryan. <laughs> ah. Lashication, the white boy Ryan. Sing some sigh. Let's get into it. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Shakisha and the White Boy, your go-to podcast for yelling about societal woes. I am your host, Ryan Dinger, a.k.a. The White Boy, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. She is a script-writing, content-producing, difference-making force. She is Harlem's own Shakisha Williams. Shakisha? You forgot to call me the voice. <laughs> the voice. All right, let me, uh, let me notate that here, and then, okay. All right, I'll add that into the intro next time. Please. Shakisha, hello. How are you today? I'm great. How yeah. are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. You having a good week so I far? I am. I yeah. am. I think I'm going to run to Harlem. I haven't been to Harlem in a while. Yeah, yeah. I'm in Jay-Z now, Jersey City. I know. Yeah. So, how long has that been now that you've been um, there? Just like four months. Okay. Maybe five. Four or five months. Oh, yeah. I thought it was longer than that, actually. Yeah. We just yeah. we just made the move right at the top of uh, Out you know, to Jersey spring. City. Jersey City is kind of nice now. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, like I found a little restaurant. It's called The Factory. Okay. So cool. I'm, I'm digging that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I used to live in Jersey City, you remember? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I was there for uh, four years before I moved to Brooklyn. Noise. Yeah, so Jersey You got to give nice. me some, like, restaurant tips. Yeah, yeah. I used to live up in the Heights, which is up on the Palisades mm-hmm. Cliffs there. Uh, yes. Cool. It's, it's a cool area. It's, like, uh, kind of where all, like, churches and schools and stuff are. So I'm more, nice. like, I'm quiet. closer to the hood. Yeah, yeah. Like, but, I'm, like, I, I, I'm, like, hood adjacent because I live right across the street yeah. from the school. But, like, if I go either way, it's like, what's up? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Cool, though. It's Bergen good. is popping. <laughs> Bergen. Bergen is popping. I feel like that area is going to gentrify a little bit, but it's tough because there's not a train near there, you know? Or it's going to gentrify a lot. Yeah, you think so? They're already building, like, okay. um, if you go to West Side, they have, like, uh, what do you call it? Um these beautiful brownstones yeah. and stuff. So yeah, yeah. yeah, it's begun. All right. Well, it's it's happening everywhere up here in this oh, yeah. beautiful New York City metropolitan area. I had a funny thing happen to me this week. So uh, Caitlin, whom you know, she's my longtime partner, living girlfriend. I yeah. feel weird calling her girlfriend. We've been together ten years. She's but your lady. She's, uh, so partner is what I'm gonna go with. But anyway, uh, her sister was visiting us this past week. Uh, her sister lives in Hawaii, and we actually hadn't seen her in four and a half years. Wow. Uh, so she came to stay with us uh, over the holiday, and, and uh, you know she was with us for, I think, five nights. It was really nice, uh, her Aww, sister Jessica. Cool. But uh, So Jessica, since she's moved to Hawaii, she started to get into Hare Krishna consciousness a little bit. Okay. And uh, that's cool. You know, yeah. I'm down with that. I definitely am, like, interested in that side of spiritualism, and, and uh, yeah. you know, uh, I definitely have, like, read... Um, you know, Buddhist texts and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Not that I'm a very religious person, but I, yeah. I, there's a passing interest. But anyway, so she took us to a Hari, Hari Krishna uh, Sunday feast mm-hmm. on the Sunday that she was staying there, which okay. is very, very cool. It's like their weekly worship type thing. Uh, yeah. There was free food. It was delicious. Um, but when we walked in, I had never been to anything like this. Caitlin had never been to anything like this. And mm-hmm. Caitlin is like a devout atheist. So, uh, you know, I was kind of wondering how she was going to react to this, like, you know, spiritual event. Yeah. And uh, we walk in and it starts and um, it's like they're playing music and doing these chants and uh, they're doing them in the direction of uh, this man who 
uh, I, I thought was meditating on this chair. Um, I thought he was just like the like preacher or yeah. like not preacher is not the right word, but like the leader, the spiritual right. leader of like this you know sect of yes. Krishna con- consciousness. And uh, I thought he was just meditating while they were doing these chants. And then it changes, and they go toward this like altar area and worship toward that. And then there's a lecture. So the whole time, this guy's in the back meditating, and I'm looking at him. I'm like, my God, like he's really. He's, he's got he's a in ton there. of discipline. He's there. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. So the whole thing goes on. It's like an hour, hour, hour and 15 minutes. We're in there. You know, he was in this, what I thought was a meditative state the whole time. We're leaving. And uh, no, he's not meditating. Your boy's a fucking idiot. It's a statue. Uh, this whole time, I thought that this, was this dude meditating. It's a statue of Hare, Hare Krishna, who I didn't know what he was. Like. Wrong! <laughs> <laughs> Did you wear your glasses, dude? Yeah. Holy I God. just we came in and and it's his back is facing us. So we go around his little throne and walk past. And I'm just like when we first arrived, sort of uncomfortable. Not uncomfortable, like I'm just trying to figure out like what I'm supposed to do. Right, right, right. And he's like, you know, 20, 30 feet away from me. And I just think it's this guy meditating. It's a it's a fucking statue. So Shit. I think maybe uh, good times. We should uh, maybe I should be the topic of WTF this week because I, you know, I had to share that though because we all have those moments. My dude, I've walked by the by a, a mirror and gone, oh, she's cute. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, that's me. So hey, it's, better it's all right. better she's cute than the, <laughs> who the whoa, fuck? Jesus, what the fuck is that? Oh my god, <laughs> is that a monster swapping? <laughs> So, she really needs to better, it uh, better she's cute. <laughs> All right, you ready to hit it? Let's do it. Let's, Let's start, go. as always, with a little segment we call the WTF. What? Fuck. What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck, Richard? What the fuck? So, Shakisha, uh, it was, I think, just a matter of time until we did one of these on WTF, but uh, I think you could take it away. Who is the topic on WTF this In week. In the grand old pr- tradition of Barbecue Becky <laughs> and all of the other white people um, who have gone on to, like, internet fame yeah. for their... Well, infamy, really. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, for their belief that their existence is more meaningful than anyone else's, we like to induct Doorway Dan. Doorway Dan. Welcome to the WTF Hall of Fame, which we just, <laughs> it's a thing now, but we, we're going to make that now. Yes, it, it will so be some good ones. Tell me about Doorway Dan. What did Doorway Dan do? His real name is Christopher Cuckor. Christopher Cuckor. He is um, a San Francisco resident. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll read what the root.com says about the incident. Please do. Headline reads, white man whose son begged him not to calls the cops on black guy, white explains why he did it. (laughs) And it reads as follows. A man was caught on video performing the sacred ritual passed down from his fugitive slave catcher ancestors when on July 4th, he called the police on a black man who refused to submit to his non-existent authority as the cop caller's son tearfully begged his father not to continue his public display of assholery. Facebook user Wesley Michael posted a video of a man who has since been identified by internet sleuths but could not be independently verified by the root. 
The video begins with the deputized doorman confronting Michael and demanding that Michael call his friend on the call box to verify that Michael has permission to stand on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. When Michael offers an alternative suggestion that Lobby Lobby Bobby just walk away, the unmelanated gentleman immediately decides to call the police and report the unregistered Negro loiterer. Yeah, so... uh I, don't, I, mean, <laughs> I love the way they did that. Yeah, it was. I it's love very that. well written. That was so cool. I can't understand how people are still doing this. Like, you know that this guy, Doorway Danny, uh, <laughs> Christopher Kakur, you know um, that he's he's had to have seen these other videos, right? And my favorite part of this video, and, and thankfully nothing comes of this. Absolutely. You know, the police yes. actually don't even show up. Uh, yeah. The video ends. That I loved. Actually, my favorite part of the video is when. Uh, the young man who was being accosted, his friend shows arrives, up. And yeah. he's like, Doorway Danny's like, you know this guy? And she's like, yeah, he's my friend. And like, he just looks like a complete smack ass. But my second favorite part of the video is that Doorway Danny's son seems to have more social intelligence than he does because he's, he's actually moved to tears at one point yeah. saying, daddy, please, this doesn't feel right. Like, yeah. let's just go. Yeah. And, you know, he, Chris... He He's, he's steadfast in his, no, <laughs> I am the protector of the door, and only I may decide who passes. You shall not pass. It's crazy. It's crazy to see the juxtaposition yeah. of his son being like dad. And he was a kid of color as well. He did. He looked uh, Asian. Yeah. 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 Well, this is Dan's, I'm sorry, Christopher's, explain. <laughs> this is how he explains what happened that day. First, just some background on that day. I was leaving my building with my child to take him to a friend's house. Like many in San Francisco, I live in a building with a security call box, and residents in the building count on that security measure. I noticed Wesley Michael caught the door and entered the building without using the call box. I did what came naturally and asked where he was going. I want to be clear on this point. This is something I do regularly, regardless of who the other person is. I offered to hold the door open while he used the call box to contact his friend. As I learned later, Wesley was a friend of a guest of a resident in the building. The building resident was not expecting Wesley. When the encounter turned confrontational and I couldn't resolve it myself, I called the police. He goes on to say, here's where the complexity begins. I was coming into the situation with my own unique history. My father was murdered outside his home by a trespasser who he confronted alone. For my child's safety, my safety, and that of the building, I felt it was necessary to get him help, get help in the situation. Furthermore, I've encountered trespassers in my building, and we've been robbed several times. This is not uncommon in San Francisco. He then goes on to explain that uh, Wesley came in with his own past and history, and that he also came in with his past and history, and that he was sorry that, if anything, that he did offended Mr. Michael. So, essentially, I, and I believe that his father was murdered, I don't want to, but yeah, essentially, I don't he's, say that. he's saying yeah. he's the Bruce Wayne of door protectors. He's like the Batman. He like is His father was murdered, Batman. and now he feels the need. He's a, a vigilante in the daylight, in this case, yeah. protecting everyone's doorways and ensuring that everyone is using the call box because heaven forbid you just go through an open I'm going to go a little over it because I just need to make this point. I, as a woman, have walked the streets of New York and there have been times when there are men who are too close and I will stop and allow them to pass. I'm not talking about just men of color. I just mean men, period. Because I don't know what that's all about. And 
if I am wrong, I usually not not like holding my purse or clutching my bag. I just want you to go in front of me because if you don't have any nefarious thoughts or ideas, then you don't even it doesn't even occur to you. But if I've ever been in that situation where I was confrontational, I'll let them know that that's what it was. And that's not what he did. He didn't say, listen, it's not you. He didn't say, well, listen, it's not you, buddy. I don't want you to think it's because you're a black dude that I'm doing this. I do this with everyone because I have, like, it's some shit that went down in my past. So I don't want you to, he never said that. He never said that to him. He's saying it now because people found out who he was and he didn't want to get called the fuck out. Yeah, yeah, that's, I think that's why it makes me sort of suspicious about, That's all. if that's really what happened to his father or not. It's a... Chris, if that really happened in your family, we don't take anything away from that. But you should have said something to that you're brother. You're not Bruce Wayne, dude. Sit your not, ass down. You're not the front door Batman. So, uh, Christopher Kakar? What, what the, the fuck? fuck? What? What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck? What the fuck, Richard? What the fuck? Uh, Christopher Kukar. That was actually a very appropriate WTF, yeah. I felt like, for this episode. Because uh, today we're discussing... White people. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, Doorway Danny, he's not the only one who's ever, who's done this. He's he's far from the only one. You had, of course, uh, Barbecue Becky, who who called the police because uh, there was a black family barbecuing in her park. Water Bottle Wendy, who called the police. Yes, Water Bottle Wendy. Because a mother and daughter team were selling water bottles outside of a San Francisco Giants game. How dare they? This happens a lot in San Francisco, it seems like, actually, because Barbecue Becky was, well, that's not San Francisco, but it's like uh, the same Oakland? area of California. It's, she taught at Stanford, which is definitely yeah. northern, north, you know, it's in the same area of yeah. California. That's kind of weird, right? Like, uh, Yeah, um, but it's also, um, you and I discussed this, um, that in your neighborhood in Brooklyn, there was like some music going on, and yeah. there were people kind of. <laughs> yes. So I think it has to do with the gentrification of neighborhoods. Yeah. yeah. So they kind of correlate. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see new faces in your neighborhood, or you are the new face, yeah. and you don't realize that you that there were things going on before you showed up, mm-hmm. and you come in like, oh my god, what are these people doing? They were doing it before you got here, Boo Boo. Yeah, yeah. What you're talking about is uh, it's a couple months ago now. Uh, where I live in Brooklyn is a is a heavily, uh, you know, it's very Hispanic. Yeah. Uh, it's actually New York City. It has the highest concentration of Hispanics of any neighborhood in New York City. Okay. Uh, I love it there. It's Bushwick. Um, Shout out to my Latinx folks. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Those people know how to party. Yes, what's up? Uh, but anyway, so... Uh, the people behind, you know, my apartment building, uh, the family who lives like across the way there, were having some bash. Like, uh, you know, it was a Saturday night, and there was like a birthday party or something. It was, you know, no big deal. And yeah, uh, they were like really turning up. Like the music was blasting. They had hired, a, you know, got a DJ, and he had his they whole setup. They were really going hard. But it's a Saturday night, and right? It's friggin' New York City. So right. what, you know, what do I care? Uh, but yeah, so uh, you know, we're watching TV. And, uh, you know, we can hear the music, you know, outside the window or whatever. And then over the music, we hear someone from our row of homes, uh, who I never saw, in fairness. Uh-huh. But uh, I think I can imagine what she looks like. And she's going, hey, turn it down. Turn it down or I'm going to call the police. Oh, no. And, uh, yeah, it's this like, I, when I told you about this before, I loved you said, ah, 
a member of the gentry had, had wanted to express how they felt about the gathering. And that's exactly what it was. It's yeah. just, you know, yeah. the neighborhood where I, where I live used to be very, very tough. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was um, a ton of, like, gang activity, uh, you know, drug trafficking through the neighborhood and yeah. stuff. Um, it's gotten better, uh, but it certainly has been gentrified. And, yeah. you know, the racial demographics are changing. Um, and it's this lack of awareness, right? It's this woman who doesn't realize that this is how these people have been partying in this area for decades. Yeah. And this is just how they get down. It's Saturday night. Like, the music was loud, I, I will say. But, like, just deal with it. Like, you chose yeah. to live here. This right. is how this neighborhood likes to party. Exactly. And I don't know what it is. like. The, and that's what happened with Barbecue Becky. It was. People were yeah. already, like, doing parties. And it was something that people did in that park mm-hmm. all of the time. Yeah, now right, she's right. new to the neighborhood, or she's in the neighborhood, and she feels like it's time. I won't even say she's new to the neighborhood, but she feels like no, we shouldn't be doing this. It's it's against the law, which by the way it turned out it wasn't. Yeah, you're allowed to barbecue in the you park. You are allowed to barbecue <laughs> in that park, so you were wrong. Also, man, if you see people barbecuing in the park, you don't call the police. You go and try have some of the barbecue. What are you thinking? Yo, check like, this out. If you go to a black person's barbecue and you get some food, you. <laughs> Listen, you will never forget it. You will never forget it. So as opposed to you calling the police because you're in your feelings. Yeah. Come on. Is that what you think it is? It's a, it's just not seeing people that you're not used to seeing. Like, you know, is it people who grew up in primarily white communities now moving into urban centers where there is more diversity? And I think so- that has a lot to do with it. Okay. Um, we have been having fun, and I want to get back to having fun. But so many... Black people have lost their lives because yeah. of... I forgot who it was. I want to say it might might have even been uh, D.L. Hughley, uh-huh. who said, I am most dangerous in the mind of a white person. Yeah. And that is mostly what is going on. Right. Um, that as a human being, like you and I, we hang out socially. Mm-hmm. Um, we share a lot of commonalities and a lot of stuff we both kind of learn from each other. Um, our, like, our significant others, like, we've, like, had that time. Totally. Um, I haven't cooked for you yet, though. No, so you I and know. Kate definitely have to you come to JC. It. This is the I'm, second time you mentioned yo, your podcast. You don't even, you don't even understand. <laughs> You're going to walk away like, oh, my God, I can't even believe what happened. Um, and in a good way. Um, but you are right when you say that there has to be some sort of connectivity to the human side of what people are right. and not just seeing a black person as the other. Yeah, yeah. You are so right. You got to get out uh, of that other space. Yeah. So the, we were talking about, you know, Barbecue Becky and, and Doorway Danny. And, and I got to get out this farty chair. And it keeps making, it's not me farting, y'all. It's this farty, it farty chair. It keeps making a lot of noise. So I'm going to move this farty right. chair. We're switching out chairs Yeah. real quick. Okay, we're good. No All more right, farty slide, chair. Slide back in there. All right. All right. Here, here I am. All I'm right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we were talking about Barbecue Becky and, and uh, Doorway Danny, and it sort of got me, got me thinking about, like, okay, what's the opposite of this? Mm-hmm. And sort of the opposite white behavior is white guilt. And mm-hmm. so that was something that I thought we should talk about today. Let's unpack it, baby. And uh, kind of, like, where this, you know, where this comes from. So I found this... Um, this excerpt from, uh, it was actually a New York Times advice column, and uh, a person wrote in for advice, and they signed their name Whitey. And here's what Whitey had to say <laughs> in this advice column. 
they say, I'm riddled with shame, white shame. This isn't helpful to me or to anyone, especially people of color. I feel like there is no me outside of my white, upper-middle-class, cisgender identity. I feel like my literal existence hurts people, like I'm always taking up space that should belong to someone else. I consider myself an ally. I research proper etiquette, read writers of color, vote in a way that will not harm people of color and other vulnerable people. I engage in conversations about privilege with other white people. I take courses that will further educate me. I donated to Black Lives Matter. Yet I fear that nothing is enough. Part of my fear comes from the fact that privilege is invisible to itself. What if I'm doing or saying insensitive things without realizing it? Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought this was actually kind of interesting because um, as a person who considers himself sort of self-aware, I wouldn't say I I necessarily go this far into it, but I've certainly had Mm -hmm. these thoughts and these feelings. Like, how do you know uh, that you're not being, you know, maybe at at least if you're not being constructive, that you're not being destructive also, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. that you're at least neutral. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, when I was reading this, my one of my thoughts was, man, if you think that's bad, just wait until you hear what it's like to be a minority in yeah. America. Like, that thought definitely occurred to me, too. Yeah. You know, this is, like, kind of a good problem to have, right? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. you know, if the alternative is yeah. that you're a minority, a person of color, yeah, that's certainly much worse than having or an immigrant now. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, <laughs> an immigrant, like a Hispanic immigrant, you know, I don't think right, white, right. It's not white immigrants don't really have the, you know, that, that kind of isn't a thing anymore. Yeah, well, um, sort of. I, I have a few friends who have spouses who are from other countries and yeah. they are facing a few yeah. glitches in the matrix. Um, but no, we, definitely, um, folks of Latin specific right. countries so, are targeted. Something I wanted to ask you is like, do, have you encountered this idea of white guilt and uh, like, have you ever been in a situation maybe where um, you felt like maybe someone was acting out of white guilt rather than like sincerity? Um, or uh, are there ways that maybe you felt that like just someone was being um, maybe patronizing and inauthentic uh, because they wanted to be perceived as like the good guy. Definitely you know? that. Yeah. Definitely that. Um, uh, so, because a few thoughts ran through my mind sure. listening yeah, to yeah. the 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 person kind of asking. Um, so, if I ever have to say, you know. Is this racist? Then probably I shouldn't go with that. Like, mm-hmm. don't. If you got to ask it, then you're probably leaning more toward it being racist. Right. Or like, if you're in a relationship and you, I don't want to have an argument about this, but it's like, okay, because we're about to get into it. You know, there. You just know. It's. I don't have to ask a question. What I will say is, there aren't enough people seeking true relationships with people, authentic relationships with people who don't come from where they come from. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to just put it on white people, but for the most part growing up, I learned white culture um, and white background first. I did get a lot because my grandmother was from the era of storytelling and that sort of connectivity to her past and things about her family, our family and Mm -hmm. her growing up. Um, But in school, I learned about white people and white culture. Um, My 
I did something called storytelling, so I learned early on how to speak the, the king's English. Um, <laughs> so as a black woman, I learned how to move in my world yeah. and your world, like, seamlessly. Right. I think the onus has to lie with people who aren't taught about other cultures. Yeah. Um, so if you don't know about collard greens, like, it's crazy to me that collard greens is a thing amongst your people now. Like, collard greens have, I'm like, child, I've been eating collard greens. Yeah, forever. For like, fucking ever. Yeah. It's like a staple. Right, right. Like, collard greens is like, hey, that's Thanksgiving, that's Christmas, yeah. that's Easter. No, Easter might be cabbage. Yeah, yeah. But, it's, um, it's a key side it, of, it, of the soul know, food genre. Exactly. Yeah. Um. I, I, so recently, there was a video kind of floating around about the, Denzel Washington was asked, why was it important for him to direct fences? Okay. Why was it important for a black man to direct fences? Yeah. He says, I'm sure that Martin Scorsese would have done an amazing job directing Schindler's List. Would have been amazing. It was important, though, that it was Steven Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. Steven Spielberg would have done an amazing job with Goodfellas. Mm -hmm. It was important that Martin Scorsese direct that. I know what it's like to sit in the kitchen and my grandmother put a hot comb on the stove and, like, like literally take the comb through. I know the smell of the hair, the smell of the grease, um, what it's like to sit between her legs, like, on the floor, that whole thing. And he made a good point. And he wasn't saying, I'm saying me. He didn't say he got his hair straightened by his grandmother. But me as a woman or a little girl, I know what that's like. Yeah. So there's a, a thing that happens with knowledge, and then there's living the experience. Enough people don't want to live the experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I they mean, don't want to live the experience. I think that there's, you know, definitely truth to that. There's fear yeah. of, of uh, you know, yeah. other other cultures. And yeah. Um, is it wrong for if if you're presented an opportunity and you think the person is giving it to you out of like some sense of white guilt or something? Mm -hmm. uh, is it wrong to take advantage of that? I've never been presented that with that opportunity. No? That's yeah. never happened to me. Yeah. Um, and it's funny that you bring this up. My husband and I were talking about affirmative action um, because the. The thought of affirmative action is that we're giving opportunities to people who don't deserve it, right? But in reality, the people who were most, who, who um, benefited most from affirmative action was white women. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean. They, yeah. they benefited most um, once the, the, the laws were passed. Um, for me, I've always been me. Like, I'm smart, I'm ambitious. Um, I have, like, a big personality. I get in quick. There are a lot of other wonderful things about me, but I don't feel that I've ever gotten an opportunity based on the fact that I was a woman of color yeah. or anything else. Right. Um, not to say that I didn't get um, a grant. Like, if I applied for a grant sure. and that grant was for women of color, you know, that might have been something. But I also had to fight for it because mm -hmm. it was a bunch of other women of color, you know, putting their bids in for those grants and loans and other things. So that has never happened to me. Um, the idea, though, of white guilt comes with things like... So there's, there's white guilt, but then there's this this thing there are some white people who are like dying to use the n-word 
Yeah. I've heard about this. Yeah, it's been, yeah. It's, you float around. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like definitely a fringe, fringe thing. But, uh, I <laughs> like, feel like, like, a, like a space in time, yeah. like this little hole. There's, there's a few people, though, yeah. So I'm going to play something for you. Um, one of my favorite modern-day orators, mm-hmm. man of intellect, mm-hmm. Ta-Nehisi Coates. Yes, um, I love him, too. Was at a um, conference or a school and um, a young lady stands up and asks him a question, and his answer and response is amazing. So okay, yeah, let's listen to that right now. Let's do it. Last week, Northwestern had this concert with Lil Uzi Vert. He uses the N word profusely, mm. like a ton, and there was an email sent out to students who went to this concert saying, "You don't have a right to use this word," which I 100% agree with. Like I, as a White person, I don't have any right. I haven't, until reparations are paid, until there's some sort of giving back, there's no right. But what do you say to, I don't know what to do when I hear my friends using this word in a song. I don't know what to do when it's just, it's all the time. Words don't have meaning without context, okay? Um, My wife refers to me as honey. That's accepted and okay between us. If we were walking down the street together and a strange woman referred to me as honey, (laughs) that wouldn't be acceptable. The understanding is I have some sort of relationship with my wife. Hopefully, I have no relationship with this strange woman. When I was young and I used to go see my family uh, in, in, in Philadelphia, where my dad was from, they would all call him Billy. His name is William Paul Coates. No one in Baltimore called him Billy, and had I referred to my father as Billy, that probably would have been a problem. That's because the relationship between myself and my dad is not the same as the relationship between my dad and his mother and his sisters who he grew up with, right? We we understand that. Um, It's the same thing with words within the African-American community, or within any community. Uh, My wife, with her girlfriend, will use the word bitch. I do not join in. I don't, you know, say, hey, I want to, I don't do that. I don't do that. And perhaps more importantly, I don't have a desire to do it. You, you understand? You know, um, it, a while ago, Dan Savage was going to have this uh, show that he was going to call Hey Faggot. I'm not going to yell faggot at Dan Savage. I'm just not, that's not my relationship with the LGBT community. And, and I understand that. And I'm okay with that. I don't have a desire to, you know, uh, uh, yell out the word, you know, faggot. I just don't have that. Um, the question one must ask, if, if that's accepted and normal for groups of people, we understand that, you know, it's normal, actually, for groups to use words that are derogatory in an ironic fashion. Why is there so much hand-wringing when black people do it? Um, black people are basically, you know, however you feel about it, they're not outside of the normal rules and laws for humanity. I had a, you know, a good friend who used to have this um, cabin in upstate New York, which he referred to as the white trash cabin. He was white. I would never refer to that cabin. I would never tell him I'm coming to your white trash cabin. <laughs> I just wouldn't do that. I, and and I, you know what I mean? I think you understand why I wouldn't do it. The question one must ask is why so many white people have difficulty Extending things that are basic laws, you know, of how human beings interact to black people. And I think I know why. (laughs) Um, 
When you're white in this country, you're taught that everything belongs to you. You think you had a right to everything. You had a right to go with you. I mean, you're conditioned this way. It's not, you know, because you, you know, your hair is a texture or your skin is light. It's the fact that the laws and the culture tell you this. You had a right to go where you want to go, do what you want to do, be however, and people just got to accommodate themselves to you. So here comes this word that, you know, you feel like you invented. And now somebody will tell you how to use the word that you invented. You know, well, why can't I use it? Everyone else gets to use it. You know what, that's racism that I don't get to use it. You know, that's racist against me. You know, I have to inconvenience myself and, and hear this song and I can't sing along? How come I can't sing along? You know what I mean? And I think, you know, uh, uh, for white people, I think the experience of being a hip-hop fan and not being able to use the word nigga is actually very, very insightful. It will give you just a little peek into the world of what it means to be black. Because... <laughs> Because to be black is to walk through the world and watch people doing things that you cannot do, that you can't join in and do, you know? And so I think there's actually a lot to be learned from refraining. There you go. Yeah, and, it's and that's And that's how I feel when someone says, well, I don't want to do anything that may be interpreted as, you know, I don't want to do anything wrong. Um, one, I think you're thinking too hard. Yeah. Um, and I think you need to begin to surround yourself as H&M should have, as many, <laughs> as many corporations should have, but begin to integrate people in your life who, can, who you can talk to and, yeah. and be open and honest with. Um, because when people love you and are, consider you a friend, they'll guide you in the right direction. I don't think it's hard being human. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. I don't think it's hard being human, and I don't. And but we have to unpack our realities around race and be honest about what we're really saying when we're yeah. saying certain things. Yeah. So that sort of goes back to something we talked about before: this idea of like um, outright racism versus like sort of this more uh, like subversive below the surface, under, yeah, subversive, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, this like north-south sort of dynamic. And, yes, uh, you know. Uh, something that I've heard, I don't know who who originally said this, but they say, you know, at least in the South, you know where you stood. You, mm -hmm. you would know where you stood with people, whereas, you know, racists in the North are a bit more subversive, yeah. uh, you know, smiling into your face and then stabbing you in the back type thing. Yeah. Um, which, I, you know, I, I don't understand the experience. You know, I haven't had the experience well enough to know, like, mm -hmm. whether that's preferable or not. But I guess is, uh, is the idea of white guilt progress in a way like uh, there are times where I don't know I don't know enough about like how white people felt about racism throughout the span of history so I don't I don't think that white I think the idea of me not them like they're racist yeah so I'm not racist it's them I think that I won't say it's problematic I won't say it's problematic I think I can't, I keep going back to this because this is at the essence of anything, um, any kind of change, any kind of forward motion is really getting in there and really having a serious dialogue. Yeah. Um, the one thing I will say, um, I don't watch them as much as I used to, um, but Van Jones had a series of, they weren't even town halls. He'd meet like a, a bunch of people at someone's house. 
Um, and they w- were always conservative, right-leaning folks. Okay. Um, and he would have these talks with them. And there was some sort of um, understanding, not to say that that changed their minds or changed their hearts or even changed their political stances, but I think the idea of like you and I saying, like you coming to me and saying, listen, this is something that was I was thinking. Am I wrong in thinking that? Or, you know, like having a fucking discussion, have a fucking conversation with someone. Yeah. Um, but everyone's always so scared and PC to break down these barriers. And I, PC is excellent. I think it's necessary and needed. Um, but I also think don't be so PC as to not make a black friend. I hate saying it like that. Like, make a friend right. <laughs> with someone who is not like you. They can easily explain to you. I th- I don't think white guilt is progression. I think it's mm. more of that safe box. Okay. I can see that. I can definitely see that. You know. I think, too, uh, you know, I, I agree with you about... Um, I think PC is necessary, but I think we sort of agree we're in the same boat in terms of, like, it's very uh, black and white. Yeah, it could be so dangerous. There's not a spectrum of thought and emotion, which is not really true of the human experience. You know, people are complicated, and and, uh, not all white people feel the same about all things. Not all black people feel the same. You know, everyone's got their own perspective and their own point of view. Absolutely. Um, And so you have that, like, you know, you need to have that, rich experience to sort of like actually, you know, understand humans better and understand yeah. how you should be interacting and what is damaging. Yeah, because life is so many shades of gray. And what isn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, I think that that's where you need to live you, is in the gray because not everything is so black and white. You know, it's pretty rare for something to be black and white. I'd love to hear um, your idea of what, like, your thoughts on the white guilt issue. Yeah. Uh, I... So for me personally, uh, I think I'm very much of the mind of like, it's hard for me to know what is helpful and what isn't because mm. uh, I, I approach trying to combat racism very much from um, sort of a like, I should listen more mm-hmm. perspective. Um, I understand white guilt. I do. Uh, I, there have been times in my life where I've thought, man white people are the worst. Like, we're just the absolute worst and have felt, like, shame because Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. Have felt, like... But I don't think I've ever had white guilt to the point of... And I I think it it can get here, what you're saying, to the point of, like, getting into this safe box and, Mm -hmm. you know, just living this PC and just, like, okay, this is what PC says I should think about this issue. This I'm big on, like, asking questions. Um... But I think I would say, like, speaking honestly, one of the reasons that I thought that this topic might be interesting to do on the podcast is because, like, I felt like I've definitely had Mm. white guilt before. Um, I've had that moment where I've thought, like, I've either said or done something and thought after the fact, like, oh, maybe I, like, maybe that was offensive or, like, Mm -hmm. maybe that wasn't something I should... And sometimes it's something silly. Mm -hmm. Like, actually, you know, just to give you an example, uh, and this wasn't something that, like, kept me up overnight, but it was something that I had a second thought about, is uh, we were, you know, we were out with friends... The other night, and we had wings. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about flats versus drumsticks. Yeah, and I had mentioned how this is a very popular heated it's a debate, serious debate on Black yes. Twitter. Yes, and I was like, I kind of had that thought after the fact, like, oh, like should I talk about Black Twitter? Like, am, is that like 
okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you guys never, yeah. you guys didn't respond in any way to be like, what, you know, what yeah. the fuck, dude? It, went, it actually like, went into, yeah, black Twitter's pretty fucking powerful. <laughs> it's, black Twitter is, and I love I loved how uh, our friend Candria, who, yeah. uh, you know, we both know, she goes, is black Twitter, like, a separate app? Like, she didn't realize that it's just, like, a, no, no, it's a sub-group. It's a subset. Like, I somehow got access to black Twitter. Like, yeah. so a black person had to, like, invite me in. And, <laughs> it's you like, got no, your black Twitter it's card. It's Twitter. It's just, like, a subset of... Yeah. But I honestly, after we were hanging out that night, I thought back to that moment. And yeah. I thought, like, oh, you know, should I have done that or... Maybe, you know, that's that wasn't very even appropriate. Yeah. For, but it wasn't even, like, malicious. It was just, like, this is something yeah, we that's were just debated talking. about yeah. in this section of the Internet, yeah. right? Uh, and I think that that is white guilt. And, but yeah. I think I have a recognition. Or that, is, it, like, is it white guilt or is it being woke? Is it white guilt or is it wokeness? Is it the ability? Because I think being woke lends itself to questioning yeah. things and having a, a real discussion I have um, gay friends. I don't have um, any close trans friends. So when I deal with people, pronouns, and I have to now kind of recollect my thoughts on am I to say they, am I to say she, am I to say he. That's not me having any, um, like, I'm not prejudiced against LGBTQ people. I'm literally reevaluating my stance. Mm-hmm. I'm reevaluating and trying to grow as an individual. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that's a good thing. Yeah, right. And I I'm not asking my my gay homeboys like, "Listen, what what's the deal with?" No, I honestly will just take in that information cuz some things I don't have to refer to someone else about. Some things I need to just see what's going on in the ether. Listen to some folks. There are plenty of LGBTQ activists who are online talking about this. Totally. So yeah. I can go there and, and research, and that's the problem. People don't, they want to, like, mm, am I, am I yeah. doing too much? And don't want to, like, take the extra steps because the information is there for you. Yeah, and I think sometimes wokeness can even be that. Like, I think sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, you are seeing what is, like, the the popular cultural response to mm-hmm. it, and you just are in that, like, robot mind of, like, okay, that's that's how I feel. And now. that's like, a dangerous, that's super yeah, dangerous. Yeah, I, I urge everyone under the sound of our voice that if there's something, like, some sort of news cycle or something on Twitter or Facebook, and you get a 10-second a uh, bite, like a sound bite, to really go back and listen yeah. to the whole thing. That's good advice. And I like that that term, everyone under our voice. Everyone under the sound of our voice, 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 voice. That's a wrap for today's episode. Before we sign off, here's another reminder about our mailbag segment. Send any questions or thought you may have to Shakisha and the white boy at gmail.com and we'll address it on an upcoming episode. Our intro music was written and produced by Berberot. You can find more of his music by visiting brbrck.com or on your preferred streaming service. That's Berberock, B-R-B-R-C-K. And if you haven't done so already, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at S-A-T-W-B, the number one. Uh, Ryan, 
anything to add before we get the hell I out think, of here? Uh, I think you covered it all. You're feeling saucy on the outro today. I'm trying to bring it, You're baby. It. I like it. I like it. That's Stubbs barbecue sauce, baby. Yeah, I'm excited to see what's coming. We got I think we're going to have a fun topic on the next episode. So Y'all need to tune in. Here we go. Until next time. Bye.